0: A little boy needed $100 very badly, so he decided to write a letter to, to God and ask him for 100 bucks. The post office received the letter addressed to God USA, and they decided to send it to the United States president's office. The president actually received the letter, and he was so touched and amused that he instructed his secretary to send $50 to the boy, and he figured that would be a lot a lot of money for him. The boy got the money, and he was delighted, and he immediately wrote back a note to God, and this is what he said. Dear God, thank you very much for sending me the money. However, I noticed that for some reason, you had to send it through Washington, D.C., and as usual, those devils took half of it. <laughs> You're welcome. A couple of you just woke up. What did I miss? Politics. Oh, never mind. I think when we approach this topic, we all obviously come to the table feeling a certain kind of way. And I think it's important that as Christians, uh, not just that we talk about what we ought to do, but how we should think about this. And that really is uh, my goal. And in case you are apprehensive about how offended you might get, I actually have some friends here with me today. I brought some people with me because I thought, you know what, I, I need some help today. I need some help. I need some help. So, put, so this is the left for you guys. And this is, not quite sure what he is yet, but we'll put him over here. Oh, oh, that's fine. Okay, you're like, I'm not well-represented With these two figures, okay, I got you covered, I got you covered, I got you covered, here we go. I'm just going to put him behind me. I know a couple of you might not come back here, that's fine, that's fine, we'll still be here though. You're welcome. I needed, I needed some help. So in his first speech, uh, president, president Biden, uh, he said this as he was president elect when, when he was uh, being sworn in. He shared his intention of bridging the gap between Democrats and Republicans to heal our country. And, and here's the thing, every president does that. Every president says that it is their intention to bridge the gap between conservatives and liberals or Democrats and Republicans. And I think they mean it. That's my opinion. I know maybe you might not agree with me, but I think they mean it. I think they mean it at least at the time that they say it. Why would they not desire that to bring the country together? Certainly they have their own mind about how that's, how that's going to happen. But here's the question that I have. Is it even possible in a country that's so polarized like ours and in case you're not sure how polarized we are, Pew Research and Statista, both of them, um, they all of their stats, especially after the pandemic, have shown that our country is more polarized than it's ever been. And I want to show you a picture here from Statista Research. As of 2020, the U.S. is literally split down the middle. Our country is split down the middle, 50 percent conservative, 50% Republican. And I want you just to look at this. Can you kind of see how the balance of power goes? It seems like it keeps meeting back in the middle somehow. So there's a bunch of people that sort of stay in the middle and they're persuaded by whatever rhetoric, or they're persuaded by, by maybe the, the views or the thoughts that are conveyed, that people actually do listen to those debates and they think this person's a better, a better candidate. Most people don't. Most people are already persuaded before they ever listen because that's the world that we're living in. And so I was challenged deeply by a lot of people in 2020 about politics. And one of, the, one of the things that was said to me in many different ways was that perhaps I don't know enough about politics and I should know more as a pastor. Well, that was probably true, honestly. Uh, I don't know how much I'm supposed to know because everybody seems to have an opinion about that. But I felt like that's a good challenge, even if I didn't like always the way that it was said. So I did something that I hadn't done, and I downloaded the Republican and the Democratic platform, which you can actually go to online and read these. And so what what are these? These are like 80 to 90 pages of guiding principles and and documents that basically present a vision uh, based on an interpretation, a vision for the country based on an interpretation. And here's what happened. When I read these, I can tell you this, and I don't want to minimize it at all. These are two very different visions for our country. These are two very different interpretations of our history. That's a fact. I actually read them, and here's what I found. A lot of people that have opinions have never read these before. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands today because I don't want you to feel guilty. But I found that people that have the loudest voice on what they think. Haven't done the most research. Wow. Imagine that, America. And so as I read this, I started to understand the polarity, that there is a serious divide. And I I started to actually understand why there is a polarity and why there's such division. But here's a question that I'm going to ask you, and I don't want you to answer today, but I want you to wrestle with it. And that question is this, is it acceptable for Christians to find themselves in the same polarity and division that the world has? Is it acceptable for Christians to find themselves in the same level of division and polarity that we see in our country? Does that honor Jesus? When we stand before the Lord and we say, Lord, how would you have me to be in the world that I'm I'm in? And here's what I would ask you not to do as a pastor is not write off that question like you already know. I think to me, that's where we get in a lot of trouble and we end up acting just like the world. It's one thing to know what you believe. It's another thing to know how to act. And as Christians, we have guiding principles and we have a guiding book, amen, we have a document that tells us a whole lot more than you're gonna read uh, in here. And I'm not claiming just neutrality. I'm saying biblical fidelity is number one. And I have found that people, even Christians, lose their mind and look just like the world in the name of what they call the truth. And here's what I want to say to you today, is I think that it is possible for Christians to navigate political realities with grace and truth and honor Jesus and keep his mission and his word first without separating from people that we are trying to reach. I think it's possible, and I think in this world, it's necessary. I think it's necessary. And so I brought my friends to trigger you just a little bit. So my goal today is not to tell you how to vote, so put your ballots away. It's to help you and I with how we ought to think. The Bible says that we've been given the mind of Christ, and I want, I want to say that we need to use it. So as we think about political engagement I say to you today, politics matter because policies matter because people matter. So politics do matter. Here's a couple things I wanna talk to you about first. Why don't Christians engage in politics? Okay, why don't Christians engage? I think a lot of people just throw up their hands and say, I don't wanna have anything to do with it. There are some statistics today and people will espouse this that 30 million Christian Americans do not vote. Now, I've heard people say that, but I couldn't substantiate that. I spent two weeks trying to find those statistics. I found blogs, I found statements, but I did not find actually any substantiated places or any kind of polls where this is actually true. Not to mention when people say 30 million American Christians don't vote, can I tell you, if you look at the research of what Christians in America believe, not everybody wants all those people to vote, no matter what camp you're in because a lot of the mainline denominations do not agree with the things that I've taught you about sexuality over the last couple of weeks. By the way, I think, I think you know that, right? And we have an increasing number of so-called evangelical churches that are moving towards the very same mentality in terms of their theology. And so when we say 30 million American Christians don't vote, you have to, you have to understand those 30 million people probably don't agree with you. So we have to be careful with our stats. I couldn't find it, but let's just say there's 20 million. Let's just say, uh, as we're having a conversation today, 20 million Christians do not vote. Why don't Christians engage in politics? Number one, we think our political engagement doesn't matter. This can be simple. You can think, well, my vote doesn't count. And the question is, how many people are saying that? And if lots of people say that, and those sort of accumulate, obviously, we're going to have a very real problem if Christians are basing their entire political engagement on the Bible, we want more people to be engaged because we want Scripture to be instituted into our policies. We want the Bible to bless people in our world. We believe that God's way is the best way, not to impose it, but as people who can engage and see policies be built on biblical principles, why would we not want that? The Bible says that when the righteous rule that the nation is blessed... So of course we want that. We're not here to impose that. You can't do that. You can't coerce. You can't impose. You can't be angry about it. But yes, so people think my vote doesn't count or perhaps they have a theology that just says it's kind of more of a Calvinistic theology that God's going to do what God's going to do and it's all going to pan out in the end. We call that pan theology. It's just all going to pan out. Everything's going to be cool. Everything's going to be all right. Amen. I follow Jesus. And the Bible says that he's the sovereign ruler and king over all the earth. And I don't really have to do anything. Well, that part of it, it, the Bible doesn't say. But that's the assumption or the implication that some have when they think about political engagement. Number two is we think Christianity and politics don't work together. That's not true. Politics affect policies, which affect people. I think the problem that we have is politicians. <laughs> am I wrong or am I the only one? All right. I'm not judging these guys. I pray for, I've prayed for both of them faithfully. But my point is, is that when, we, when someone embodies politics for us, or this is the personification of liberal and conservative or Democrat and Republican, it causes an angst inside of people and they withdraw. Like, how, how are we going to even, or why should we even in, engage this? But there's another part of this, like people have this idea of the separation of church and state. And where does that come from today? That's sort of the secular mindset. Where this is, there's a separation of church and state. The church doesn't belong in the state. That's never been the case. In 1635, Roger Williams, who was the founder of Rhode Island, he used the phrase separation of church and state to say that the church could only be effective if it was not influenced by the wilderness of the world. Now, Thomas Jefferson, our third president picked this up and he used to say it as well when he spoke about religious liberty. He was protecting the church from the state. But in recent times, what has happened is that phrase has turned around and said the church and the principles of the church by implication have no place in the state. Well, friends, that is just not possible. If you're a Christian, and you're not hiding from it, you bring your whole self to your life. I don't care if you work for Amazon or Nordstrom's or Starbucks. They might ask you not to say certain things, but you still are who you are. The way that you act, the things that you say, what you bring to the table, you bring your whole self to work, you bring your whole self to your marriage your whole growing Christian self. Amen. (laughs) You bring your whole self to your parenting. You bring your whole self to politics. And it is a ridiculous notion to think that a Christian can separate what they believe from what they would like to see in our world to bring flourishing as Jesus intends. It's just not even possible. So our theology as Christians, should inform everything we say and do, which absolutely touches political matters. We all know that. Number three, people don't engage because we have a real tension concerning political parties and politicians. And the question that I often have is, and I mean no disrespect to either of these people, I'm I'm not here to bash people today or our politicians, but I just, I'm gonna ask a very real question and I think it's fair. Is this the best that we could come up with? I'm just asking the question, is this the best, the most thoughtful, the most educated on the issues? I mean, we're talking about foreign policy today. I mean, look what's happening in Israel. Look what's happening in the world. So I'm praying for you, man, (laughs) because I don't know what else to do. And I was praying for him. You may not like politicians, but they got these buttons. I was going to bring out a big old button, like a big nuclear button. And it's amazing to me how Christians, they disengage, but they don't realize there's a hand over those buttons. And you don't have power and authority over those. You get mad if that person that's in charge is not your person, but you better pray for that hand that's over that button. Because we don't get to choose now. But we do, as Christians, get to choose how we pray and what we say. And unfortunately, far too many Christians have withdrawn from what they can do. That is a shame, and it needs to stop. Number four, we have become passive when it comes to the needs of our community. Let's be honest. Sometimes we care about the principle, but not the people. We care about the truth, but not the transformation of society really caring about the people in our world. Politics become more of an agree, disagree, principles, perspective, and it doesn't really matter about how it affects the people, and Christians cannot be like that. Christians cannot think like that. How many of you have, uh, or you're a part of a homeowners association, condo or home? Raise your hand. Okay, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. up. Some of you aren't raising your hand, that's fine. You're disobedient, that's fine. All right, how many of you, now put your hands down, because this is a little shameful how many of you that just raise your hand, how many of you go to the homeowners association meetings? A lot less hands, come on, let's just be honest. Isn't it interesting that we can be part of a community and still be individuals? That's what we do. And you know what happens? Cause I'm, I'm guilty, I didn't raise my hand cause I'm part of a homeowners association and I have not attended. Yeah, you can judge me, that's fine. And it's wrong. I'm just telling you, like, I'm not perfect, but I felt convicted about that. I felt convicted every time I see that time. I'm like, I can't make that time. And I'm like, oh, but uh, we only say something when we don't like the decisions. Isn't it amazing? That's what happens. It's like, I, I don't even care that there is a homeowners association, right? I don't even care. I just, I just want to live here. And, and the only time that I care about what happens in those rooms is when I disagree with the decisions that are made. You see the problem? The problem is, is that we weren't helping to shape the decisions. And all we have is accusations and disagreements after the decisions have been made. Friends, we do the same thing with politics. Can I get an ouch? All right, there it is. And so it's easy to live in a neighborhood and a nation as an individual, but our engagement can help people, and that's what we need to get after. So here's my second part. How should Christians think about politics? This is where we have to open our Bible. Number one, this is God's world. Genesis chapter one is very clear that God is the creator. The rest of the Bible says he's the sovereign ruler, he's the righteous judge of heaven, and earth. And regardless of who is king or president of any nation, God is always on the throne. He's never left it. He will never leave it. Number two, God has delegated authority to people. We know this verse very well, Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And can I say before I read this, I had sort of a revelation this week and I thought it was interesting. It seems to me like Jesus gets asked these questions And he points back to creation. Hey, Jesus, what do you think about marriage? And they give him this scenario that's strange. And he says, oh, you don't understand what it was supposed to be from the beginning. And then he talks about God created men and women for covenant relationship. And let not man separate what God has joined together. I just think it's fascinating that when Jesus is asked a question, he, oh, you don't understand. And he points back to what God originally created and his intention, because that's what happens to humans. We lose an understanding of who did what and what the intention of that was. And so Jesus constantly points us back to what we've lost. That's just a little free revelation. You can tuck that into your pocket as you go on your way in the next 30 minutes, but not now, of course. But Genesis 126, God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. And watch this, let them rule over That word right there, rule over, that word rule means to have dominion, to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, really everything that God created. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them. Now, this is is not a pat on the back. This is not a hope it works out. It says God blessed them. God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Have children, fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it. Bring it over, bring it into your rule. Bring, bring it into submission. There's chaos. Just like the Bible says in Genesis chapter one, it says that the earth was void and there was darkness and there was chaos. And then God spoke. The spirit of God was hovering, said, let there be light. What was dark, what was chaotic, God brought it into order. I I find it fascinating that I believe the same thing here is part of what it means to image God, part of what it means for us to be in his image is to actually do what he did in Genesis chapter one. God saw something and it was out of order and then he spoke and he brought it into order. Then he creates human beings and he says, I want you to go rule over it. I want you to bring it into order. And this is part of how we are like him. This is how he made us. So, when God created humans, He commissioned them to rule and to have dominion over the earth, to govern the affairs of the earth in the context of His will. God delegated authority to us. Oftentimes, we try to relinquish our responsibility and give it back to Him. He gave it to us. God said, I want you to rule. God said, I want you to have dominion. And so, we can't step out of it and act like that's not what He did. He said, I want you to rule over it. And the reason that it's in the state that it's in today is my third point. Sin has clouded our judgment and our ability to govern righteously. From Genesis chapter three, humans disobeyed God from the beginning, and it put inside of us a sinful disposition. We call this the, the fall. And so now human beings, we're centered on self, and we respond out of the flesh And this is responsible for bad stewardship and judgment and principles and bad government. Sin is responsible, centered on self. So we're not surprised by sinful people. We're not surprised by sinful systems. We're not surprised by sinful policies. We are not surprised by sinful government because the answer to the moral dilemma is we need Christ Only the good news can transform the human heart and set us back into a place where we actually want what God wants. Until that happens, it is not possible. So every person that has a position of power is going to, in one way or another, missteward that power just like you. I'm not going to get an amen there. I know it. The reason that we do some of the things that we do and we are selfish and we can make decisions that are about self and not others is because of sin and Jesus wants us delivered from that sin and he's the only one that can do that in our lives and the same is true for every politician and every person and this is why Christians get duped into this idea that if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian and you hold up your Bible, we got a righteous ruler. We get duped into this all the time. And friends, you don't even treat your children like that. Your kid will be holding their Bible and they'll be going after God, but you get to see the worst of them too. (laughs) I feel like we need to understand there's this part that humans have to grapple with called sin. And even when you're a follower of Jesus, you still need to surrender your life and your stewardship every day, every single day. So we're not surprised. Sin is part of our world. Number four is the world system is not a construct of God's will or ways. The system that has been in place. Humans have built society over thousands of years based on the flesh and centered on self. Just a cursory view of human history shows you how we have treated each other. I mean, we have not done well. When we talk about government and stewardship, I, I am no historian but I've been reading history for at least the last six, seven years consistently. I'm throwing books in there and I'm reading them. Some of you guys have suggested whenever I say something you feel like is a little off, you throw me another book, you know, and I've read some of them, not all of them. My email address is Scott (laughs) at, uh, so thank you for your recs. Um, The Bible teaches that the present world system is under the power of Satan. You know why? Because we gave over authority to Satan. Jesus calls him a stranger's voice. We, we were seduced, Eve and then Adam, and we were called to rule over the earth. And then Satan comes along and he, promp- he prompts up even more. You can be like God, he said. You can be like God. God is withholding from you. Eat from the tree he told you not to eat from. You can be like God. The implication was you can be God. The problem was is that we were already made to be like God, under his authority and to rule in the way that he called us to. So we got duped and we ate from the forbidden fruit and we've been eating from it ever ever since. But in that process, we gave Satan authority to rule and to have dominion. That's what happened. John chapter 12, 14 and 16. Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world. Everybody say ruler. I want you to notice this word rule and ruler throughout the Bible. It's a very interesting study. It starts in Genesis chapter one, but it stops in Revelation. It's very interesting. It starts with God creating and then delegating authority. And then it stops with Jesus coming back and taking his rightful place. Very interesting. And so there's this construct of authority and governance that we see today. Jesus says that Satan is behind it spiritually and he's animating and he's energizing and he's provoking and he's speaking to and even through the Bible says that he's the prince of the power of the air. Remember when Satan tempted Jesus in Matthew chapter four, what did he say to him? He brought him to a place and he said, see all these kingdoms. If you bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus was like, nah, man, not today, Satan. That's the 2023 BIV version. Amen. Ben's international. It's, I, I highly re- recommend it. Not today. Jesus was a king. He knew who he was. I'll give you all this. Why could he even say that? He could say that because he had a level of authority that was given over to him. So he's a counterfeit authority, but he does have a level of authority. Paul calls Satan the ruler of this world. But isn't it interesting, the word world I've taught you before, you don't remember, but I'm going to tell you, it means five different things in the New Testament, which is entirely unhelpful. So when you see the word, the English word world in the Bible, it could mean five different things. Oftentimes, it's referring to the world system. But isn't it interesting that there's another Greek word, some people say it ion or aion, and that word here, when he's called the prince of the power of the world, or as Paul calls him, the God of this world, the ruler of this world, when Paul calls him that, the word world, it means dispensation of time. Sometimes that word is used for a generation. In other words, Paul is saying, you're the ruler for a period of time, but it's gonna come to an end. Can I get an Amen. (laughs) So he's not just saying you're permanently fixed as the ruler. What he's saying is, is he's the ruler of this world, of this time frame that we're a part of. That's gonna to come to an end. And isn't it interesting, as Paul teaches about spiritual warfare, he actually wanted believers to understand that what we're what we're operating in, what we're fighting against, what we're up against, whether it's in the political arena or any arena, that what's behind it is rulers of the darkness of this age. Look in Ephesians chapter six and verse 12. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And look at this, rulers of this darkness or the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So, so there are spirits of wickedness, the company of Satan that has power to speak into this world spiritually. And so we're functioning like on all these things. We think of like policies and politics. Ideology is probably the number one place of spiritual warfare, probably, because somebody's morality is being legislated. That's why you can't step away from it and be like, it doesn't matter. No, 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 it's spiritual warfare. As we've talked about secular culture, that's culture without God. Secular culture, it's culture without God. Christians carry a Christian culture. That's a culture with Christ infused into it. Now, it's not a culture that we can impose onto people, nor should we try. It's a culture that we serve. As we serve the community, people see the difference in us. As we share the gospel, we don't bear the sword. We share the message. We live the life. Isn't it interesting? Jesus didn't have to come and conquer. He didn't have to do that. He changed the whole world by laying his life down. And he he taught his disciples to do the same thing. He's saying, you don't believe this. You don't believe this, but you can overcome evil with good. But something in us doesn't want to believe that. Something in us doesn't want to believe that sacrifice actually leads to victory. I'll tell you, if if you're human, and I know you are, and if you're anything like me, which not all of you are, (laughs) good and bad, um, we don't always believe that. We think there's got to be a better way, a quicker way, a stronger way. And Jesus kept telling his disciples, knock it off. It's not going to happen. That's what the Romans did. So the world system is not a construct of God's will or ways. The governments of this world, the Bible calls them kingdoms, including ours, is not the kingdom of God. So tension will always exist. And it's unfortunate. I think some people think that the United States of America, because it's the best government in the world, which patriotically, I'm glad that I'm an American. Amen. I'm just, I'm thankful. I'm glad to be born in this country. I'm glad to have the freedoms that I have. I'm thankful. But at the same time, it's not the kingdom of God. And it's unfortunate that some people have conflated the two. That's scary. That's very scary to me. When that happens, when people read the Bible with a filter, like, as though, like, when Paul was talking to the Corinthians, he was talking to America. It happens all the time. Or when God was talking to Israel in the Old Testament, like, we superimpose those promises and that covenant onto the United States of America. That's a conflation, and it's scary. We have to read the Bible for what it is and what it means. The Bible says every nation of the earth, he's the king over the whole earth, and not just America. Am am I trying to put down our country? No. But I'm telling you, this is going to increase People talk about nationalism today and they say, well, Christian nationalism is one of the greatest threats. I disagree. (laughs) I'm not losing any friends to Christian nationalism. I am losing friends to progressive theology. I am, in Seattle, all the Seattleites said amen. I am losing friends who think it doesn't matter what you do with your sexuality, which implies there's no designer or creator with intention behind it. I'm losing friends to that because when they let go of some of these really important things, They're also letting go of the inerrancy of scripture. When you start to negotiate, man, you don't just negotiate with one issue. You start to negotiate with the whole thing. That's what happens. And I know it's true because of some of my own friends that have gone through this. Number five, God's government is the kingdom of God and Jesus is the king. The father sent the son to reclaim what we human beings handed over to the enemy. There's a very important verse in Isaiah nine, which we always share during Christmas time. And I wanna share it with you today. Verse six, for to us... A child is born. I'm getting you ready for Christmas. Do you feel it? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government, there it is, will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government. You know what that word means? His rule and his dominion. The greatness of his rule and his dominion. I want you to see this word keeps Popping up and showing up throughout the Bible. And his peace, there will be no end. Mark chapter 1, Jesus announced the kingdom of God is at hand. And we as Christians confess that he is Lord and he is Savior. He's not just the one that saves us from our sins and makes us feel better, he's Lord. We give him our total allegiance and loyalty. The Bible knows nothing else. The Bible says that we bow our knee. That was another way of saying, surrender your whole life. Give your whole self. You bow your knee to King Jesus. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's so close. You can touch it. It's coming. It's so close. You can, you can touch it. But Jewish theology in that day, espoused that the Messiah would come to rule and reign for the first time. So they were always confused. We've talked about this as we went through the book of Mark. They were always confused When Jesus didn't do what they thought he would do, he should show up with military and political power and we should take over. And Israel was excited about that. We're finally gonna be on top and Rome is gonna be dismantled as it should be. The taxation and the burdens and the oppression, it was so much, it was surmounting on them and they didn't know what to do with all that. So when they thought Jesus was the Messiah, man, they were excited. But when he didn't do the things that they thought Messiah would do, they were really discouraged. They didn't understand there was a first and a second coming. But here's what the Bible says, that all current governments, again, they use the word kingdoms in the Bible, will be completely turned over to King Jesus at his second coming. It actually says that, Revelation eleven fifteen: the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there was loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah or his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. This is why every believer longs for the righteous and just rule of King Jesus. Every person in this room, we want to be ruled righteously. And it will only happen from King Jesus. It will only happen from King Jesus. Now, am I saying that we shouldn't care about wanting people to rule with justice and righteousness? We should. But there's an ache that will never go away until Jesus fully, physically establishes his throne. It will never go away. And don't allow yourself, please, this is a pastoral moment, do not allow yourself to think that we can vote that kind of satisfying internal work into place. We can't. Does it mean we don't vote the best that we can? No, we should, we ought to, we must. But friends, you will never, you will never let go of that ache inside of you. You and I were made for one leader, for one ruler. And we walked away and God came through his son to bring us back to the right place. So this truth, this promise of Jesus coming to rule and reign, it can tempt Christians to become complacent in the political arena. They have this idea, well, you know, when Jesus comes back, all things will be good. All things will be fine. We're just going to hold on until it happens and pack up and Wait for the rapture. We'll unpack, you know. We're supposed to rule and reign in this world in the name of Jesus with the nature of Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. And so to relinquish our responsibility to me is irresponsible. It's irresponsible. That isn't some condemnation on you to be really political where you're not gifted or skilled. But somehow, friends, we're supposed to engage and not disengage. And by engage, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean being mad. That doesn't mean saying, I really care. No, 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 no. <laughs> or really caring with other Christian people where it doesn't affect you. That, that, that's not what we're talking about. It's doing something. It's doing something. And so Christians historically have this problem where we forget that Jesus is on his way and that he's delegated authority. And so we end up acting like the world. We end up just getting mad because we really don't know what to do. And we're not okay with patience and simplicity. We're not okay with that. And so friends, you're always gonna have an angst, but we can do something. And that something is just in part as we await the glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, and I would say to you, is number six, is that politics matter because policies matter because people matter. Look at Romans 13, verse 1, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers, there's that word again, rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, For the authorities are God's servants who give you their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now, Paul was speaking to the Roman church under a very different form of government. I want to show you something in the last few minutes here. I want to show you a picture. Don't ask me what all of these forms of government mean. I won't explain them all. Paul was functioning under a very different form of government, and we have to be careful that when we read these words, we understand what he meant and then how that might apply to us. So Rome started as a monarchy, and it's a muddy past of governmental structure for Rome. I don't want the email, but I feel comfortable with what I'm about to say. Rome started as a monarchy. There was a head of state. It kind of became like a family dynasty, it turned into a representative democracy, or that's what they said, (laughs) but there were still people at the top and there actually was a civil war in Rome and it became kind of like an oligarchy, which the aristocrats were kind of like the senators. That's why it really wasn't truly a representative democracy ever. I mean, they espoused that and, and historians will say, this was the first representative democracy, but not really. So there were some aristocrats and then through civil war, it became an empire where the Caesars were in charge and they were not kind to Christianity. Not at all. Any of you ever read a little history about how Christians were treated under the Caesars, oh yeah, it's really bad. So Paul's purpose was to help the church overcome great evil through peaceful submission by keeping the mission first. And so he's basically saying as the tension was high and the zealot party was growing, He's telling them not to push back in a natural way, like some were doing, and he's warding off violence. And he's talking about not bringing more persecution onto the church. That's what he's telling them. He actually says, be at peace with all men as much as it depends on you. The reason he says all these things is because they're functioning under a monarchy that will crush them. And so there is a way to serve and there is a way to love and there is a way to share. He's saying, we don't bear the sword. We bear the message. Share the message, love people, serve, be at peace with others. Don't be a part of the uprising. The taxation, the oppression, the burden was so great that the people were being seduced into this thinking that we need to be a part of this uprising. It happened to them and it happens to us. There's something that wants to cast off this oppression. But when we know Jesus and we understand his mission, Paul is directing them to do what Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. This will transform lives. And so we're living in a different time with a different form of government. So when we think about submission, it does not mean shut up, buckle up, and it will all be over soon. That's not what he was talking about. In fact, when we think about this, because we care about domestic policy, we care about economic issues, we care about foreign policy, we care about national security, health care, immigration, social issues, marriage, abortion, religious liberty, who doesn't care about those things? That's the political arena because we care about that. When we read Paul's words, we cannot read it and just go submit means not get involved. In our form of government, we can submit through legal due process, which means we can be involved, which means if we don't like it, we can change it. How do we change it? We become a part of it, but Christians don't. They don't become a part of it. So they get mad and then they end up fighting in church. That's what I saw. That's what I saw the last three or four years. That's what I saw. I thought it was crazy. In fact, I learned something. I started reading these and then I realized most people don't even know what they espouse. They don't. They're reading their favorite blogger. They're trusting some people they don't even know. They're getting stirred up by social media, which has an algorithm to actually do that to us. The clickbait does something to us how much lies on both sides christians are called to pray we have these clear commands of scripture and we disobey the scripture because we're listening to the narrative of the world sometimes it's right sometimes it's it's wrong but the word of the lord to jeremiah for the people of israel and babylon was to plant vineyards It was to have kids. It was to work towards flourishing of the community. And he said, pray for the welfare of the city. Care about the people that you're around. That's what he told them. And they were under judgment. I mean, talk about not being able to be involved. And we have this great privilege to be involved. And not all of us will be involved at the same levels. But getting mad is not being involved. And so you're asking the question, and and I want to share with you, how should Christians engage in politics? Number one, educate yourself about parties, policies and politicians read for yourself there's more to know number two get involved wherever possible I encourage you to vote join boards send communication and run for office I encourage you to do that if I wasn't a pastor uh, I told my wife this was like before we came here I was like you know I would really get involved and I was really more ignorant then than I am than I am now I was like I would really really get involved not that I'd be a great politician I'd be a terrible politician in what that means today. But I thought I wanted to make a difference and I thought, I thought to myself, maybe I could. Somebody's gotta to dare to think that. Maybe I could make a difference. When I retire from whatever this is, I'm gonna get involved, man. Some of you guys that are retired, don't give your life to your lawn. Don't do it. Accept your limitations. I want my lawn to be nice, but it it doesn't have to be like one of the gardens in Seattle. What if you chose to do something totally different? I don't wanna judge you. I'm not, listen, I know we all have different lives, but what if you could be involved in raising up a prayer movement? What if you could be involved in bridging the gap? What if you could do that? But maybe it is that we're just, there's that soundtrack that's playing in the background that secular lullaby don't do anything don't get involved separation church and state doesn't matter your vote doesn't matter your involvement doesn't matter your engagement doesn't matter just sit there and do nothing and let the world spin round and then you just get mad and so you're at home mad watching television watching the news another news program another anger spiel no stop it (laughs) stop your lawn looks great amen Let's let's turn this thing around. Number three, vote according to what the Bible teaches. I wanna direct you to the greatest voting guide I have ever received in my life. It's very clear. The world's not clear, but this is very clear. I highly recommend reading it, studying it, praying over it, voting according to it. Number four, don't allow yourself to be politicized, polarized, or divisive. Don't do that. You disagree with parties, you disagree with policies, i think we need to restore decorum and dignity and respect the way we talk to people i don't care if others can't do it we should we should i think you can make a point without making an enemy and it's shameful that people can't do that but the church should be different what if one of the greatest examples that we can be in the days ahead is that we do it so differently people have to notice because the polarity is so great And I just believe we can, the spirit of God is calling us to not just engage in politics, not just what we do, it's how we do it. It's how we do it. That's why I've said before about our church, we're not gonna be the angry church. We will not be the angry church. We will be the biblically convicted church, but we don't have to be angry about that. We don't, we don't demonize other people. We're reaching out, reaching out. Now I wanna say this to you, and I I need everybody to, to listen very carefully. Our church, is led by and run by a, a past uh, a pastoral leadership. Sometimes people come to me and they talk to me like I'm just the one that like makes all the decisions and runs the show. I do have more weight, there's no doubt about that. But I'm very accountable. We have pastoral team, we have a business council. I have leaders above me that I'm accountable to. So I just want to be very very clear. And something I'm telling you, I'm not I'm not just asking you. And I know this comes off a little strong, but I'm I'm, I'm saying this. We're not allowing people to walk into our church and just hand out political leaflets and pamphlets. If that happens, if people do that, I will address it. It's not okay. I don't even do that. It was a couple months ago I put some a referendum in front of our church and I said, "Please sign this or pray about signing this." I didn't I didn't demand it. I just put it in front. Of, you know why I did? Because I believe that what was behind that was a biblical issue. I'm not I'm not going to come in here and just set up registration booths. And I'm not inviting other ministries that we do not know to do that because we, we are led by pastors, which means we pray, we fast, we consider, we look at scripture. I don't just have, I don't show up with a conservative agenda. We have to pray. We have to fast. We have to seek God. So if there's something on your heart and you want to put it in front of me, you can do that. But you have to accept that I'm gonna, we're going to say no when we pray about it. You have to accept that we're gonna say no. And if that offends you, it's like, I'm gonna go find a church that believes what I do and is really going after it. I can direct you to a couple of them in advance. I'm not asking you to leave. I'm just saying like, if we're not going to be enough politically for some of you, I love you, but I don't wanna go, every election cycle, I am not going to go through this pressure again and again and again. Conviction is very clear. We teach the Bible. Do not please, people were passing that stuff out a couple months ago. They're passing stuff out without getting permission. Don't do that. Don't do that. Now, if it wasn't you, you can say, yeah, Ben, I agree with you. <laughs> but it's not, it's not okay. I don't even do that. So you, you can't do that either. That's the way that we wanna steward this. We wanna steward this in respect because what it's gonna do is stir division. You're mad, so I'm gonna to go to the place where I'm not gonna get hit for that. Do it at Walmart, amen? <laughs> do it at Planet Fitness. Trust me, they're doing it. But if you want something to happen here, it's gotta come through the pastoral team. Make sense? That's the way it should be done. That's the way it should be done in your home. That's the way it should be done in the church too. So we will respectfully and responsibly carry that as as best we can, but that's, that's the way it goes. All right, amen. Everybody breathe. Number five, steward the mission of God is top priority, evangelism and discipleship. Jesus gave us our marching orders. We want to pass on our faith to the next generation. Politics matter, but the mission of Jesus matters more. Politics matter, but the mission of Jesus matters more. In four years, i preached on politics twice, four years. So if you're here and you're a guest, you're like, whoa, man, four years, twice. In five years, it might be three times. I'm gonna encourage you to vote. I'm gonna send out the email. I'm gonna encourage you to vote. I think it matters. Biblically, I think it, I think it matters, all right? But the mission of Jesus is what we're after, amen? The gospel of Jesus is what we're here to do. Number six, would you stand to your feet? I want to share this with you and then pray it together. Pray regularly for all who are in authority. We don't always agree. I don't always agree. I don't always know what you're talking about. No offense. I don't even know what to say. And I mean that. I I don't know. That's, That's me. It doesn't have to be you, but I just... But here's what the bible commands i urge you then first of all that all petitions prayers intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people for kings and all those who are in authority that we might live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness so here's our purpose this is good and pleases god our savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth I can't always control who's got their hand on those on those buttons, but I better be praying for the people that have the hand on the button. That's what God is saying. And be about our mission. So let's pray together. Let's put as we have our hands out to the Lord, we're surrendering ourselves to it. Father. We thank you in the mighty name of Jesus today. I do pray over our president. I pray over his cabinet. We thank you for Joe Biden. God, we ask that you give him wisdom. Father, I pray that everyone who is in authority in every state of the United States of America, Congress, senators, all the way down to mayors, everyone that has a voice into all of those who are in positions of power, Father, we pray for wisdom. And God, I do, I unashamedly ask, wherever it is needed for repentance in our country, you're the king and you've delegated authority and where that authority is being mis and mishandled, Father, we pray that you would bring repentance to this nation and that our hearts would turn to you, not because we believe that people are gonna be Christianized from the top down, but because we want righteousness to rule the land. You're the one that gave us authority. And I pray God, wherever people are suffering, that you would provide, that you would protect. God, I'm asking you that you would turn hearts to you. Let the gospel flow freely in our streets, in our cities, in our states. God, we thank you for this nation. We thank you now for the world. And we pray, Father, for your shalom over the Middle East. We pray you would silence the voice of the enemy. We pray that you would thwart his plans. And we pray that you would raise up the gospel in the name of Jesus in the midst of turbulent and difficult times. We don't know how you'll do it, but we certainly ask you to do it. Father, we thank you. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' mighty name and God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you today. Thanks for listening today. Pastor Ben's mission is to equip the church to impact the world. If you want to get connected, check the show notes and visit bendixon.org. From there, you can learn about Pastor Ben's other podcasts, the books he has written, Ignite Global Ministries, and the Online Immersion Discipleship School.